I welcome you to follow along in those passages when we come to them. While you're turning there, I just want to remind you of something that we did several years ago. You will recall that several years ago, we turned this platform into a stage, into a house. And there was a living room and a kitchen and a, an infamous closet. And we put on a play, and the title of the play was My Heart, Christ's Home. Does anyone remember that? And, and David DeRosa played this gentleman who had uh, turned away in, and struggled in his walk with Christ, and John Morkin played Jesus and, and, his, and his loving pursuit of the one into whose home, into whose heart he had come. Diane Parenti wrote the script, and she and Linda Shannon put this all together. And many of you brought your friends to come see this play by Robert. Well, the, 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 the book was written by Robert Munger, My Heart, Christ's Home. I've loved this. It's, I've given away hundreds of these. And in that play, we saw how the love of God the Father comes through Christ the Son into the hearts of his people and takes up residence. And that is what dis is described in our text today, in John 17, verse 26. As we come to the, to the final part of the last prayer that Jesus prayed, he says to his heavenly Father, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. And you can see in your outline the very first point so clear from this text that Jesus reveals the Father to you. It's so interesting because if you remember, he actually began in the early parts of the prayer, way back, as that we studied about eight weeks ago, uh, uh, nine weeks ago, we studied uh, verse 6 where Jesus said at the beginning of his prayer, I made known to them your name. You see, I revealed those, I revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world, and now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. And now at the close of the prayer, Jesus rehearses this. You hear the echo again. I have made you known them. And what is Jesus telling us here? He's reminding us as we eavesdrop in on this prayer, he's celebrating that our God is a self-revealing God. And he underscores what we call the doctrine of special revelation. Sure, you know that there's a God from the general revelation of creation, but human beings like us, what do we need? We need God specifically to make himself known to us. And special revelation, of course, comes to us in the Bible, inspired by God, and through the ultimate self-revelation in the incarnation, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who is God's word to us. You see, sometimes I think to myself when Jesus talks like this, well, come on, Jesus, why, doesn't, why don't you just celebrate the fact that we figured it out you know, we were clever enough to, 
figure out the gospel on our own, weren't we? The Bible says, not at all. What Robert Munger said in this play, My Heart Christ's Home. He says, When Jesus Christ came into my life, what an entrance he made. It was not a spectacular emotional thing, but it was very real. Something happened at the very center of my life. He came into the darkness of my heart and turned the lights on. I like that. And he went to the heart, and he lit a fire and banished the chill. And he brought music where there had been silence. You see, what Jesus Christ does is he comes and he makes God known to us. And Jesus celebrates it. I made you known to them. That's what Jesus does. There's a very unflattering passage in the book of Romans. You know it in Romans chapter 1, where the apostle uh, tells us that men suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And I'm not here to insult you today, but the Bible says that left to ourselves, we do not like the idea that there is a creator God who has the right to guide our lives and to tell us how to live, but instead we have inside of us, in the flesh, and certainly this is true of those who don't know the Lord, there is this lust for autonomy. I will be my own boss, the captain of my soul and the master of my fate. The Bible says there is this intentional ignorance. That's a strange phrase, but there's this intentional ignorance in, in the human heart that can't bear to hear Jesus. Jesus says this in John 8, 43 and 44. Why do you not understand what I say? And then he answers his own question. It is because you cannot bear to hear my words. But in this prayer that we're studying together, Jesus tells us something beautiful. He says, you know, in fact, there are people who can bear to hear his words. There are people who actually do listen to him. Who are they? And he tells us. He's talking about his disciples those people whose ears are unstopped and whose eyes are open and whose hearts are warmed and they are able to hear that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and the way to the Father. He's done something. He has revealed the Father to them. And I ask you, is he speaking about you? For that's the question to each of us. Is he speaking about you? Are you able to bear his word? Will you hear his word? I, I don't know the answer to that question for you. Only you know it. But I, I do want to encourage you today. And I want to encourage you because you have intentionally placed yourself under the hearing of his word. That's a good thing. Good for you. You should be encouraged. Clearly, God is at work in the people of this congregation making us love him. He's giving the music of the gospel, the warmth of his gospel, the light of his gospel. And I see it in life after life in this congregation. It's so exciting. Jesus has revealed the Father to you. And 
that's each of our stories. You know the story, I told it a few weeks ago, I'll say it again, of Kirsten Powers. Remember her as he's a Fox News commentator, worked for the Democratic Party uh, in the Clinton administration, and she tells that story of how she had absolutely no interest in becoming a Christian at all. And what did she say? She says, the Lord revealed himself to her. She says, I wasn't courageous. I didn't have any choice. I kept trying not to believe, and I just couldn't avoid it. If I could have avoided it, I would have. There is nothing convenient about it in my life. In the world I live in, right, she's a part of the New York media elite, in the world I live in, there's nothing convenient about it. It's not like living in the South or somewhere where everybody is a Christian. I live in a world where nobody is a believer. But God pursued me. And so that prayer is answered. I have revealed you to them. That's your story. And then point number two, it leads right into the second point. You catch the next phrase. I will continue to make you known to them. And this is what we teach in this church, what we learn together in our home groups, again and again, week in and week out, is that, that coming to Jesus is not just a singular event in the distant past where we discovered the gospel, and then, well, then it's life as usual, but that's not what the Bible teaches, and it's not what Jesus prays here. But what does he pray here? He says, I've made known to them your name, and I will, I love this next word, continue to make it known to them. And this is very important. You know why it's so important? It's important because life is hard. And there is a danger to the Christian life. And you know what that danger is? The danger is that when life is unfair, and when life is such a burden and is hard, the temptation of our hearts is to revise our view of God. And this is what happens. Life seems unfair. Life seems hard. God in his providence is taking me through some deep waters. And if you are not careful, what you do is you have a revisionist view of God. And you begin to paint him as other than he is. If you're not careful, there's a bitterness that comes up and begins to accuse God. And that's why you and I need Jesus continually to reveal the Father to us day in and day out. Listen, my friends, this sentence is something I've said many times. We must not interpret God through our circumstances. But instead, we must analyze and live through our circumstances by what we know to be true about God. Do you understand that? It's crucial to the Christian life. What you know to be true about God. Jesus continued to reveal him to me accurately in his love, in his wisdom, in his holiness, in his justice, in his grace. I need to know him. Otherwise, my view of God gets corrupted. So, aren't you glad that Jesus said, I will continue to make him know? And he brings us back to sanity again and again. He's done that for me. I know many of you. He's done that for you. 
praise his name, praise this faithful, praying Savior who continues to make him known to us even as we walk through fiery trials and go through deep waters. There's also something very comforting about this phrase, I will continue to make him known, because this teaches what we call the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Have you ever heard that? We actually said that in the shorter catechism question that we discussed earlier. And you see, there is, there is this thread woven through the Bible that is so beautiful, so beautiful, that says in Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus was teaching his disciples, and in John 6.39 he said, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of them he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, talking about the sanctifying work of God's Spirit in our lives. And you know what it says? Paul says, Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love this next phrase. He who called you is faithful, and he will do it. Do you sense the thread? Do you sense the pattern? The perseverance of the saints. He doesn't give up on us. Who does it? He does it. And so Jesus will continue to make God known to you day after day after day as you meet him in personal worship. In this church, we don't just worship God on Sundays, do we? But you yourselves, in the morning, in the evening, at the family gatherings, we, we come to the Lord and we engage with him and he reminds us again of who he is and what he has done for us. Brothers and sisters, every day, call it your sane hour, that moment when you come back and he refreshes, reboots, reveals afresh who he is to you by his word, by his spirit. And then Sunday after Sunday, we come aside and we put aside the pressures. Every Lord's Day, we, set a, we stop the rat race for a moment. We get off the hamster wheel that we run on. And we gather and we let him reset he continues to make himself known to us. Listen, my friends. Listen to this. He is not too busy for you. The problem is that you are too busy for him. He's not too distracted from you. It's not like he's oh, I'm so concerned about what's happening in China, I don't have time uh, or energy to think about those people over there on Long Island. He is not distracted from you. The problem is what? You are too easily distracted from him. And so we need to hear Jesus call us back again and again. I will continue. And I want you to be encouraged by this. Because if you're feeling a little helpless now, well, 
claim this promise. Jesus, you will continue to make the Father known to me, and I need it. If you know that need, then open your heart to him in the rhythms of your life. And what is the result of this continued revelation? It's point number three. You see it as it begins to follow. He says, I will continue to make it known, and the result, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That the Father's love will be in us. But notice first, point number three. He didn't just go straight from put your love in them. What does he tell us in the middle of this verse? Very important. He gives us a glimpse into the Trinity itself. He says, the love with which you have loved me. What's that all about? This is not just any kind of love. This is the love with which the Father has loved the Son. That is the love that is going to come to us. And two weeks ago, we studied uh, where we, actually it was last week, where we talked about all the gifts that will be ours in heaven. And Jesus said uh, that the ground of the gifts that we receive in heaven are because of the love that the Father had for the Son before the creation of the world. It's the merits of Christ, of course. It's the delight that the Father has in the Son, whose coattails we ride into heaven. about this, this reality in the Trinity that makes our God clearly the great God, the living and true God. God is a self-loving God. Did you know that? He is a self-loving God. Now, does this sound odd to you? What, is God the kind of God who looks in the mirror and preens and and admires him. Is that what it's talking about? You know, it's a vanity mirror? No. One writer named Tyler Smith, he says, it's not the God at the vanity mirror. It's God at the table sitting across from the Son and the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit at the table, delighting in each other, in community, communing with each other, serving each other, reaching into each other and appreciating each other. It's God, the one God, the true God in community. And I thought about it this week. I thought, this is why the Christian God is so superior, for example, to the Muslim God, the Islam, the God of Islam, this monolithic God who is not the lover. He's not presented as the lover. Yes, he's the one you must submit to. Islam means submission. But, but, you know, there's not the community of love inside the Godhead. And this is what is so beautiful about the Bible, self-revelation of our God. He's in community within himself. And when he creates the universe, he says, let us make man in our own image. You see, God speaking within himself, delighting in himself. And this means, and here's what John Piper says, this means that God, who is internally loving himself, God is a happy God. John Piper is one of my greatest uh, and favorite writers. And he says, you need to know in the gospel, in the self-revelation of God, that God 
is a happy God. What does he say of his own son? This is my son, in whom my soul delights. Right? There's a delight that the father has for the son. And Jesus shows us again and again how he delights in his heavenly father. And when the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus at his baptism, he falls on him like a dove, affirming, blessing Jesus, filling Jesus. And there is within the Trinity the voice of the Father at that event, my Son in whom I delight, the Spirit descending like a dove, the Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son to serve the Father. And it is all energized by this incredible and glorious and beautiful, exquisite love. Love. John says it twice in 1 John 4, verse 8, then verse 16. I hope you memorize it. God is love. Yes, we know God is light, and all of his attributes are important. But John, this very writer who recorded the prayer of Jesus in his last epistles, says it over and over again. God is love. Jesus says, point four, that he takes the love he receives, this exquisite, beautiful love, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. Christian, this is what Jesus prays for you, that the love of the Father will be in your heart. You know, Jesus taught this. Why are we sometimes slow to miss this? In, in John 15, verse 9, what does Jesus say? As the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. We shouldn't miss this. So now Jesus says, God, the Father, that love with which you love me, I want it to be in Charles. I want it to be in Lydia. I want it to be in Sean. I want it to be in Carl. Do you believe that this morning? Do you know this this morning? The New Testament. We talk about echo. I know I'm so heavy in quoting scriptures through this ripe, ripe prayer of Jesus, but the echo comes back again and again in Galatians 2.20, in Ephesians 5.29, in Romans 5.8, in 1 John 4.8-10, you have this picture of the love of Jesus that he loved us and gave himself up for us. That's what he says, Galatians 2.20, he loved me and gave himself up for me. When he describes the church in Ephesians 5.29, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And now it's clear, isn't it? The work of Jesus Christ, his life, his dying, his resurrection, all was motivated by love. It all has to do with love. 1 John 4.8, it goes on, because God is love. 
In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Oh, my friends, God does not love us because Jesus died for us. Jesus died for us because God loves us. He set his love upon you, and so he came to do the work the Father gave him to do. No, my friends, we learn it at the cross. Where did he give himself up for us? At the cross. At the cross. And if you today understand that at the cross your sins were atoned for, paid for, washed away, he has washed us in his blood. He has washed us in his blood. John Newton, he just echoed it three times. He has washed us in his blood. He has brought us nigh to God. You understand that in the cross your sins are forgiven and you are made, uh, your, the scarlet, crimson stains are washed clean. Can you honestly say, I believe that's true, but I'm not sure that God loves me. No, you can't. Because you know that he loves you. He gave his son to die for you. My brothers and sisters, you may experience tribulation, but never doubt his love. You may be bankrupt, and have no money in your bank account at all, but he loves you. And you may have cancer, but he loves you. And you may have shame and failure, as I have shame and failure, but he loves you. He loves you. That the love with which you have loved me, Jesus says, may be in me. It's guaranteed through the prayer, the high priestly prayer of your Savior, Jesus Christ. why John says, 1 John 4, 16, we know and rely on the love that God has for us. Friends, North Shore Community Church, what we want is what Paul, as he begins to exult in this, in Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, this passage that each of us should highlight with our yellow highlighter and underline with our pens, Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, where he says that Christ, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in what? What's the next word? Love. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And the picture is of you like a tree a great tree with roots that run deep. And those roots run deep into the nourishment and the moisture and the, and, and the food that you need that comes up into you. You are rooted in his love. And then he changes the metaphor from an agricultural metaphor to this architectural metaphor, grounded. And there it's the word used for the foundation of a building, the Freedom Tower in Lower Manhattan now has its foundation grounded deep 
into the bedrock, which is unshakable, rooted in his love, grounded in his love. And then Paul, who is such a good theologian and who is such a master wordsmith, runs out of words to describe it. Did you catch that? He says, I want you to understand the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of that love that, what does he say? That, I'm out of words. It surpasses knowledge. It's a mystery. It's so great. The love of God in you. Can you say, I know and rely on the love that the Father has for me. I hope you can. I want you to. Please. This is who we are as a church family. And the climax of the prayer is that Jesus will say that the love you with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And what Jesus says, Jesus, the beloved one, right? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He takes up residence in you. Your heart, Christ's home. And it brings us back again to our book list that we studied together several years ago and to the play. Do you see yourself as the resident of Christ? In your own identity, self, sense of self, you are the dwelling place of Jesus Christ. We're not surprised by this. Jesus, again, is echoing his own teaching of John 14, verse 23, where he says, do you know this verse? He says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home. There it is. With him, my heart, Christ's home. Can you say, he has taken up residence in me, and oh, what a difference he makes. Can you say that? He came into the darkness of my own heart, and he turned on the light. Came to the coldness of my soul, and he lit a fire. Came to the loneliness of my experience, and his own wonderful fellowship is with me, and he promised he'd never leave me or forsake me. Bob Munger says, I have never regretted opening the door to Jesus Christ. What about you? Do you have that sense that he has come and opened the door and made his entrance into your life? If you have never done that, then maybe today is the day that he is knocking. And today is the day that he is opening the door himself and revealing the Father to you. And this is the day you become a Christian. Wouldn't that be a great day? Wouldn't that be a fantastic day? And for the rest of us, he continues. Today is a part of that answered prayer. Isn't that beautiful? Today is a part of that answered prayer. I will continue to make you known to them that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. So, 
say to Jesus Christ right now as we soon will go to prayer. Say, Lord, I want this heart of mine to be yours. And yes, there's some demolition that needs to be done. Whenever you do renovation, there has to be demolition, okay? But he is the demolition expert, not you. Lord, do your demolition work. I give you permission. And he, well, there's got to be a carpentry done. But Jesus, you're, you were a carpenter. You understand construction. Lord, I welcome you to do your construction in my life. And he is a much better interior designer, a much better interior decorator than you are when it comes to your own soul. Give him permission to do with you what he will. Cry out to him and welcome him. Lord, make me new. I'm glad you're here. You're welcome in every room. Thank you for loving me. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for praying for us. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for sending your Son while we were still sinners. And then Christ died for us. We open this home of our hearts to you. Even the closets, even the closets, the dark closets, where things are hidden. Here it is, Lord. Here's the closet. The kitchen, the library, the living room, the bedroom, the attic, the basement, the boiler room. Lord, our hearts Christ's home. We thank you for your love today. Jesus, thank you that you sounded this out again and again in this prayer. The intra-Trinitarian love given to us. What a great God you are. We worship you. And we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name. Let's stand and revel in his love.